0: Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all tell Craig your story listeners. Just use the code tell Craig your story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online. Nigel the Shanghai Psychic.
1: Hi this is Mark Hughes and you're listening to Tell Craig Your Story Podcast.
0: Hey guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to former NRL star Mark Hughes. Now Mark is most recognized for his 161 games playing for the Newcastle Knights. Now Mark was a part of the 97 grand final win against Manly, and he was also a part of the 2001 grand final win against Parramatta. He played three games uh, for a fullback for the New South Wales State of Origin team. Now, unfortunately, in 2013, Mark was diagnosed with brain cancer. But he got through that with uh, a lot of hard work and uh, with his friends and family. And in 2014, Mark established the Mark Hughes Foundation to raise awareness for the incidence of brain cancer internationally. Now in 2016, the NRL jumped on board and announced a round uh, for Beanie for Brain Cancer round. And that continues uh, today where the Mark Hughes Foundation has raised approximately $20 million for brain cancer research. Now most recently, Mark is now the director and partner of Air Lockers Training at Katara. Now, Mark is a true inspiration. He's battled with cancer and he's got through it. And it's just a credit to him that he lives a positive lifestyle. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. We are on all the social medias. And we also have WeChat for our Chinese listeners and VK for our Russian listeners. At Tell your story. And we also have a link tree there, which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Malvena Things. Uh, you can go to their website www.malvenathings.com. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Mark Hughes on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. <laughs> Hi, Mark. How are you doing today?
1: Craig, I'm great, mate. Really, really nice to talk, and especially nice knowing that you're a Knights supporter, mate. That's that's great news. Oh, mate, I'm a very
0: proud uh, Knights fan. <laughs> I remember my dad uh, going up, sitting up on the hill uh, <laughs> when I was a little yes. kid. So <laughs> good I times.
1: Seeing... I mean, it's all changed now. The ground, and I guess for the better. But it was something special about the hills there. Um, I know they're still on the end of each ground, and then there was the big where the Andrew John stand is, having the big hill there, it used to be an amazing uh, atmosphere there, that's for sure.
0: And the little scoreboard on, on, on the other side of the hill there as well, so it was all, it's all changed now. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, uh, I know you're a busy man, so first off I want to ask, like with everybody, how are you dealing in the pandemic, are you and your family staying safe and what have you had to do to sort of adjust in this time?
1: Yeah, mate, like like for all families and like everyone, it was a huge shock to the system when it all broke out and very worrying and scary. And, um, you know, particularly with uh, my sort of, my health record and situation, I certainly didn't want to take any risks and, and, and find myself sick um, and, you know, play tricks on with my immune system. So, yeah, I, I particularly tucked myself out of the way and uh, kept safe. Um, yes. You know, had our had our uh, challenges with homeschooling and all yes. that stuff. But, um, you know, we've come through the other side. Uh, whilst, obviously, we're still on alert, um, I don't know. I feel like um, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel with this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hope, like, with the summer being the warmer weather, there. hopefully we can get like a, you know, like a cure for this eventually or like some sort of vaccine in the future. But I'm glad that you and your family are staying safe. Uh, are you still living in Curry Curry or have you ventured somewhere else?
1: Uh, Craig, so yeah, I was born and bred in Curry Curry. I'm very grateful for that. Um, but at the huh? age of 20, I moved uh, when sort of started to play first grade uh, with the Knights. Uh, had to move closer for training right. and all that stuff. So, Currie um, Currie is about forty-five minutes back then. There's a new road now, but it was about forty-five-minute drive to Newcastle, so it was just a bit far. And yeah, I still get out there all the time. Got family and friends there, of course. So.
0: Yeah, right. So growing up there, were like you and your were your father involved with the with the curry Currie Bulldogs, or did you sort of pick it up uh, yourself?
1: Yeah, look, my dad played uh, cricket and rugby league, and loved his sport uh, as I did. Yes. Um, and in Currie, we didn't have like, we didn't have the beach and all that stuff. So a lot of a lot of what we did was sport, and of course, it was way before this social media crazy yes. stuff that on. So I would race home from school, and it'd be straight on the footpath with kids in the street. We'd play footy. In the summer, we'd play cricket. Yes. And in the summer, I would play cricket. Saturday morning, I'd play grade cricket Sunday, yes. Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I'd play rep cricket a lot of Sundays. So I was right into my cricket, but I had a real love of rugby league. Yes. That was you know, that was my true love of um, sport right from a young age. So were Before you like, the Knights were around, mate.
0: Yeah, were you sort of like a, a gifted uh, player or did, was it something that you had to sort of work
1: at? No, Craig, I, it was something I definitely had to work at. It was, um, you know, I was fit, but I, I wasn't, by far, wasn't the strongest or quickest or biggest, all that stuff. So for me, I had a lot of struggles um, with, with rugby league, uh, and I think it made me for all the better a player down the track. But as a young kid, I had to work really hard, and I, I loved it, and I trained really hard. Yes, and uh, I wasn't making the rep teams and all that stuff, but I, I just continued to follow um, my path, and I think that's important for, for kids and people is that don't compete against, just compete against yourself and right. follow your own path, you know. And the thing is, we all mature at different ages, and so don't try and compete with someone else. Just follow your path and stay on it, and um, eventually, you know, if you're willing to. to to live and breathe that and and give it your best shot, you give yourself a really, really good chance of achieving whatever goal it is in life, you know. You want to be a plumber, you want to be a doctor. Sport's one thing, but there's so many other things to aim for as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice too. I had something similar. Uh, I didn't have a growth spurt until later where all all the other guys in my team were were making rep teams, uh, you know with cricket and i used to play baseball as well and i was the little guy and you know each year i tried (laughs) and they said no i'm sorry you're too small so you know (laughs) that that's definitely good advice
1: well i think the big guy i think the big guy that has it really easy as a young kid i think they struggle uh in later life when everyone catch up with them so that's um, right that's, that's one way to look at it
0: absolutely and, you know, you, you started playing with the Curry Curry Bulldogs, part of the, the local competition. So it says here that you won the grand final in 1995. Do you have any recollection, good memories of that?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was a huge, you know, growing up in Curry Curry, close-knit community. Yes. Uh, we loved our, our local footy team. And Curry Curry produced uh, more internationals than any other club outside of the NRL club. so We've produced a lot. We've got a great history. And back then in the early 90s, Currie Rugby League was thriving. And in 1993 and 94, Currie had won two premierships in a row. Wow. Which uh, I don't think it was 40 or 50 years since they won before that. The town was buzzing and I came into grade as an 18-year-old and got a couple of opportunities uh, that year, my first year in grade. And found myself on the wing in the grand final against West Newcastle. Uh, Scored two tries and we won the game. And it was just enormous. Like having all my mum and dad and family Mm -hmm. and the local community. It was a huge thing to win three in a row. So that moment there really enabled me to get a trial at the Knights and um, sort of kick on from there.
0: Obviously they would have had scouts there in 95 at the grand final.
1: Yeah, like it's a big, yeah, lots of people, It's, a, it's you know, lots of people at the game and yes. all local people and the, the 21s coach um, gave me a trial, he was actually from Curry as well, so that helped and um, got a trial at the Knights for the 96 season and uh, things started to happen pretty quickly after that.
0: Right, so what was it like joining the Knights? I mean, a Curry boy,
1: uh, I'm assuming that you were a Knights fan growing up,
0: what was that sort of like? coming in um, well
1: firstly uh, just on that as a kid I was a mad Parramatta supporter oh really uh, right until the Knights come in I mean I'm you know so yeah and then the Knights come in and a, a year or two into that I was right into the Knights but yes um, so yeah that that's um, the dream was to play for the Knights you know to to do that to get into the 21s I was quite excited but I didn't feel like I'd made it that's for sure I just felt good that I was there but I'd I had bigger goals and ambitions and I wanted to, but it, it did feel like I was at the back of a fairly long queue to, to yes. get into first place, you know? So, um, physically I wasn't, uh, that big. I hadn't done the weights that a lot of my teammates had done for the last four years. So I was yes. behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. Um, but I'd been playing against men and I was pretty appreciative and grateful that I, I took that track cause I think it toughened me up a little bit and, um, got me ready for what was to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you got your first, oh, oh before that, uh, there was like a huge talent there. Like there would have been like Darren Albert, Owen Craigie at that sort of time period, right? So,
1: just Yeah, like, there like, was a great yeah. crop, great crop of players. Um, you know, you you had um all around the same age, you had outside backs like you've mentioned, Adam McDougal, uh, Darren Albert, Owen Craigie, yeah. Uh, Matt Gidley yeah, yes. uh, Brett Grogan was a few years older. a um, lot of talented players. so um, yeah it was uh, it was really good. We had these uh, real senior hard head forwards and yes. really good young um, young backs with with lots of, uh, lots ahead of them. so it was yeah. an exciting time to be in the club.
0: Yeah, and and it was that sort of period we were starting to really you're you're making sort of getting close to the top eight, and then '97 come and you actually made your debut in '97, right?
1: Yeah, so I uh, had a year in '96 in twenty ones, and then yes. um, I managed to get a trial uh, for the Knights in '97. Right. So. I got a trial for the reserve grade and they accepted me after a bit and said, yep, you can have a year here. So I got another year there and um, played reserve grade, started playing quite well and got a few opportunities. Back then you'd play reserve grade, then you'd sit on the bench with six or eight blokes and you might get picked to play first grade. Yes. Um, So that was a different world. And then eventually uh, midway through the year, I got a start on the wing um, against the Roosters on a wet night at Newcastle and Once they got me in there, mate, they couldn't shake me. I um, I just kept. um, I just found a way to um, to stay up there, and it was. um, I couldn't believe I was playing first grade, and um, yeah, and I mean, eight or ten games later, I was holding up the um, the trophy as a (laughs) premiership winner, so it was amazing. Wow! And just
0: tell us about that. You'd only just come into the the team, and same with Owen Craig. You only just come into the team yourself, and to be a part of that. That whole week in Newcastle to be a Newcastleian, that whole week was amazing. I can remember as if it was like I was a part of the team. So
1: for you, yeah,
0: what was that whole week like?
1: Well, mate, I think that was the good thing about it. I think the whole town felt like felt a part of this and yes. took ownership of it. And the, the the you say a week, but I I would call it <laughs> probably two weeks or three weeks, which is the week leading into the game. Yes. The town was electric. And then to win and then to see the the pandemonium that <laughs> broke out after we won yes. um, is something that you just won't forget. And so many people still come up and tell me where they were that day and they know where they watched the game yes. and they know they remember going to the workers' club after it yes. and all that stuff. So their are memories that we'll never forget. And um, as a player, to, to be a part of that... Um, with that group of blokes is um, it's binded us for life and I think it's something that we as a town are binded with for life because it's not it's something that we'll will never forget.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, what a moment. And I'll be a fanboy as well. I, I was at the, the Jets concert, you know, at the ticket Tech Parade. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, that
1: was a special memory. That was
0: yeah. how good was that? Yeah, it was great.
1: I was on the front that row there. Very
0: Caught Andrew Johns and <laughs> it was such a yeah
1: cool... that that the stage dive of Joey and yeah. Maddie. Um, Joey dived pretty high, but that was magical. That that street parade to go from Jasmine at Stockland, yes, in the back of the car all the way into town. The streets lined with people Beaumont going street. through Beaumont Street, moving yeah. around like it was. Wow, well, I just wish you could, you know, it'd be great to just sit in that car and do that again. That was a special. Special time, and then to go to the, the big uh, council into the in the town there and have the um, presentation and just a sea of people, see what it meant to to so many. Yes, um, that was just special time. Special yeah, time.
0: absolutely. And like mainly with the team at that stage, like they had like an amazing team full of internationals. You know, they only lost a couple of games that season, so. What was the sort of game plan to to when you went down there? Like, you know, what was Mel really saying to you guys?
1: I think uh, uh, one of it was um, just about enjoying the week and really, and we had some really fun guys in our team. Obviously, yes. the Sons brothers come to mind. You know, yes. Robbie O Davis was lively, like just a lot of fun people, and we just enjoyed it and you know, when you had hardheads like Tony Butterfield and Paul Harrigan, just just inspirational leaders in the front row, like leading you like big brothers, um, there was a real sense that we were going to do something special. And when the bus left on the Saturday afternoon from the stadium, Chief stood up on the bus and, you know, there was people everywhere on the streets. And he said, this is, you know, this is more than a game. We're not we're not losing this boys. We're we're gonna come home with the win and yeah. um, I think we felt special then that um something was really brewing.
0: Yeah. And were you where were you when the Darren Albert try? Were you on the other side of the wing or were you on that, that side?
1: No, absolutely. I was uh I was on the same side with Alby, so Right. Um yeah, I'm the bloke that um, Andrew John's dummy to and gave it inside to Darren oh, Albert. That's
0: right, yes, yes, yeah.
1: So um, I still am filthy that Joey didn't give me the ball. <laughs> I could have scored. <laughs> yes. But wow, that was just an amazing moment. And, you know, to see Albie racing around under the post, like slow motion, everyone running in, and I've seen replays of it, and oh, it gets never still, gets old. Still um, see it, still see it, uh, you know, surreal. on
0: replays and, and all that.
1: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just... It pans to the bench and to see all our bench, see the crowd
0: hugging and, and I just you know,
1: yeah. I just remember it's like a surreal moment, and you're just running in going, wow, "Well, we've, we've won the grand final. And because for, for, to be fair, for 78 minutes of the game, we were behind pretty much, yes. and we were, you know, we were just battling away, staying in the game. So, yes, just yeah, amazing.
0: Well, you can definitely see who wanted it more, and you just. I watched it again, before, you know. It was on Foxtel, and you guys were just bashing him, you know, hitting him really, really hard, and just w- weren't letting up, like not giving him a sort of like a chance to sort of get a bit of a roll on. So uh, I love that, like, it, and it's still to this day that the knights are always sort of. You know, that's why they keep coming back all, all, all the time. And the crowds, you know, they know that win, lose or draw, they're always going to have like a, you know, they're always going to be in the fight. So that's what I like about the Knights. And then, then we move forward, uh, a new coach to that. And then you get into the, you know, a couple of, uh, another good couple of years. And then another grand final, 2001. Another great achievement. But this, this year, it was actually Parramatta that had only lost two or three games that year. Uh, Michael Hagan, new coach. So what did he sort of bring to the club?
1: From the years of 97 to 2001, realistically, every year, we, we had a genuine chance of winning the comp. Yes. And in 2000, uh, in 99 and 2000, Warren Ryan had us. And, yes. And uh, the walk taught us a lot of technical stuff about rugby league. He, he just knew it all. And he laid, laid a lot of good groundwork for us. And, um, yes. in 2000, we were leading 18 nil in the, uh, to go into the grand final at half time. We got beat by the Roosters. <laughs> Roosters. Um, yes. <laughs> so we were, and, and we had, we had a wonderful team in 2000. Um, so 2001, we lost a couple of senior players, particularly, uh, Dave Fairley, Matt Johns. uh, Tony Barfield so there was a bit yes. of a younger team for 2001 but um, it just all came together and uh, Parramatta had a wonderful season they yes. were on top of their game but when I look at the players we had in our team uh, particularly you know guys like Steve Simpson Ben Kennedy in the forward, yeah, you know BK, great clubman yeah. like Billy Peden um, yes. we had Matt Parsons in the front row what a player he was for us and um, young Josh Perry in the front row. Um Danny Badiris at Hooker. He was he was about to launch his well, rep career. Yes. Um, you know, so we had we were stacks full of great players, Tamana who dudes yes. like you know, Didley, did yes. um O'Davis. So we had a really great, great team. team. So I, yes. I look back on it and I think, you know what, we yeah, we, we had a great team. So it's little wonder we won and uh we turn, Andrew Johnson the forwards turned it on in the first half, and we came off Definitely. leading 24-0, and uh, never, you know, prior to would've... their credit, they kept going at us. But really, um, we're never going to win.
0: Who would have Who would have thought that, like before the game, that you were going to better be winning 24-0 at half At half time, it was just just amazing. Like, and for Billy Peden too. Like, I know you've had a lot to do with him. You know, after the Knights yeah, as well, sure. for him to score yeah. those tries as well, Yeah, um, was such a so good to special, see, special. and yeah. and even still, uh, 2001, that uh, state of origin as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So what a season! Look, I played
1: for you. mostly centre. I played, I played a mixture of centre and fullback at the Knights, and yes. I really enjoyed both positions and did quite well at both. Um. And there was a stage there in 2001 where I was playing fullback, and it was around Origin time, and I was playing some good footy. And Andrew Johns tipped me off that he said, "Mate, you're a massive chance for selection tomorrow." Yeah,
0: right.
1: And I thought, oh, you know, Joey's known for the odd porky pie. I just <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know what was going on, but um, he was right, and the next day I got selected. Um, and wow, what an experience, you know that was you know that was in my dreams, but. Far out, it felt like a a, a tough dream to to achieve. But I got there, played three games. It was one all going into the last game. um, And they brought Alan Langer back. um, And Queensland got us in the third game. But, you know, I'm proud, really proud to have worn a blue jersey. I, you know, certainly gave it my best shot. And, um, yeah, it certainly was a wonderful year.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, like... They all talk about the speed of the of the game and state of origin, uh, comparing that to like a normal NRL game.
1: Yeah, so quick. You look up and the scoreboard says, you know, ten minutes till half time. <laughs> wow, where'd that time go? Yes. So yeah, it's quick and it's tough, and you know, it's everything that um you see. Uh, you know, it's a it's a I would say uh, it's the toughest footy you can play. So um, it's it's nice to have been a. More part of that, and um, yeah, absolutely. certainly something I look back on quite very proud.
0: definitely. and it says here that you, you played with the Knights until two thousand and five, you know, and then you went to the Catalan Dragons in the Super league.
1: Yes, um, so the last couple of years of my career at the Knights, um, I did suffer a few injuries. So I yes. didn't get as much time on the field. And, um, look, to be fair, the first 100 games I played, I, I don't think I, I missed about two or three games. So I had a really right. good run. But towards the end, it caught up with me a little bit. And, um, you know, it was time to sort of just have a bit of a change before I moved on to, a, to you know, life yes. after footy. And it was exciting to go to Catalan Dragons in France to play in the English Super League and really enjoyed that. Um, great experience. Um, language barrier was tough a little bit at times, <laughs> but but certainly um, a really good experience, and I I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah,
0: and how is your how is your French
1: by the way now? Ah, oh, no, not not very good, mate. So, <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to be a French teacher anytime right. soon.
0: And uh, excuse me if I if I'm offensive or anything, but how did you get the nickname of of Boozy?
1: Yeah, that's a that nickname stuck. Um <laughs> I think it was 97 in the celebrations. I was sort of sticking around and just enjoying it and I didn't want to I didn't want to miss anything. So I was I was in and around that and um one of the boys just sort of changed the um it's not Hughesy, it's Boozy and it sort of stuck from there and that nickname followed me everywhere. Um in the newspapers on the telly, yes. uh, that was everywhere. So I Oh, it was one of them things. Um, you know, I uh, I enjoyed a good time like everyone, and that sort of just rhymed with Uzi, and that's sort of what I got stuck with. And no um, look, these days I try not to get called that too often. I'm a, you know, I've got a charity and things going on, yes. but there's still a few of my old mates that refuse to call me nothing but boozy. So that's right. You're right. That's all right.
0: <laughs> and, and speaking of, of your career, like uh, like you said, you played fullback, centre, and wing. Did you have like a, a preference on where you wanted to play?
1: Oh, gee, I I really I get asked that a bit, but I I had some really great success in both spots, and you yes. know, fullback led me to New South Wales. Yes, centres, I, I I had some really good footy in the centres, so I'm really grateful that I got the opportunity to play. You know, a lot of both. Yeah. Right. Interesting.
0: So then you you came back, come back to Newcastle, and here's the just a a tragic 2013. You had no symptoms, you had no signs, you felt physically good, but you went in for a check. So tell us a little bit about this. This is after your career.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, things were going along really well. Yeah. Um, I was 36 years of age at the time and had three children under the age of 10 and I had headaches for two days, uh, went in and saw my doctor and he sent me for a scan and, you know, from that moment on, my, my life had changed. I um uh, had a brain tumour, the um, size of a small avocado and wow. I had to get up to John Hunter Hospital and get that removed as soon as possible, so... That was, um, yeah, that was a crazy time. Um, I had the surgery, um, got it removed. And then I um, started radiation, chemotherapy. Um, had to do radiation down on the Central Coast. So I had a lot of my old teammates and family and friends drive me down every day because I couldn't drive. And That's we did cool. that. Um, I did training with Ben Kennedy during my radiation. So we'd, I'd do radiation in the morning and in the afternoons I'd be doing swimming and running and just to try and get fit and just to give myself every chance. So, um, yeah, life had changed. Um, Did radiation, did chemotherapy and um, suddenly become this um, brain cancer patient, yeah. Yeah,
0: and then of looking at some of the statistics of brain cancer, it's just amazing how nobody sort of has taken recognition of it at that time.
1: Yeah, dreadful disease, uh, no cure. Um, yeah. Kills more people 40 years and under than any other disease. Kills more children 10 under than any other disease. So horrendous, the stats are dreadful. Um, nice. And I <clears throat> uh, really up until the Mark Hughes Foundation was formed, there wasn't much talk about it out there. So uh, we sort of saw this, uh, me and my wife Lee and we decided we needed to do something about it. And that's right at the start was where the Mark Hughes Foundation was formed.
0: Wow. And, you know, we can can look at it now in 2020 and see how much it's helped so many people. But, you know, was it difficult to to start this foundation at the start, right at the start?
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of work went into it, Craig. And uh, my wife, Lee drove that and she was just amazing. And I had lots of good friends, you know, Paul Harrigan, yes in particular was very close and helping and uh lots of other friends you know the badiras family and lots of other so i had a lot of good help um a lot of mates a lot of family and we got there we got it started and so pretty quickly momentum started to build and um during my rehab i wore a beanie quite a lot so i just thought that uh beanies and brain cancer had a real good ring to it and uh that's how that was sort of born
0: yeah right yeah so established in uh, yeah, two thousand fourteen yeah. and you know ever since that i I've got a stat here that said that you've is it twenty million dollars that you've raised since since yeah the start so of
1: it? since then that's what's happened. It's been absolutely amazing um wow. the support out there, the research we now get done, our brain cancer nurses across Newcastle and regional New South Wales that are helping brain cancer patients and their families. Um, yeah so much has been done since then and I uh, went to our scientific com- committee meeting last week and our, our, our scientists are very uh, excited and can't believe the change in landscape for brain cancer since when we started and yeah we're all very excited and you know what we we want to cure for brain cancer that's what I need and that's what so many other people out there require so that's what we're working towards
0: yeah absolutely that's amazing and in two thousand and sixteen, the start of the beanie for brain cancer round
1: as well this is yeah just... that that sorry mate yeah that that's that took the Mark youth foundation to another level uh, when the n r l got behind us mate um, it was it was enormous you know and it wasn't just the it was everyone got involved the media. Um, the players, the referees, officials, um, most importantly the fans. Everyone just wanted to get our beanies and support the round, and it just keeps going from strength to strength. And um, yeah, we couldn't have done it without you know the, the massive help of the NRL and the, the rugby league community, or the community in general. Um, you know, right across New South Wales and Queensland in particular, there's enormous amount of support for the Mark Foundation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's national wide, and it's going international as well. It's almost uh, almost like a, oh, you know, you know, look at the the schedule for next year, and it's like when's the muckiest? You know, the, be, <laughs> the beanie round. So you're yeah. always looking for it as well. So, and it's also like the the pink uh, the pink day for like the test match, the Grand the Grand So yeah. it's also got to that status. So. You know that's an amazing achievement, Mark.
1: Uh, well done. No, well I couldn't do it without the people. That's you know that buy a beanie. Just simply by buying a beanie makes such a huge difference. Yes, there was a
0: horse horse that won, and he was like a sponsor of the foundation as well.
1: That that happened on the the weekend. It was called Ice Bath. Ice Bath. That's the one. Sorry. And now uh, every horse every in that in that race on the weekend um the golden eagle uh racing New South Wales put on that ten percent of the winnings for each horse whatever the horse wins goes to the uh charity um, and thankfully for us, the connections of Ice bath chose the mark Hughes foundation yeah,
0: right. and
1: they um they come second and the Mark Hughes Foundation got hundred and fifty thousand and you know what the great thing was? So many other charities benefited on the day as well. It was really a really great initiative from Racing New South Wales.
0: That's that's so cool. And I just want to just get off topic a little bit. Uh, actually, speaking of the, the foundation, you've actually been to uh, Mount Kilimanjaro.
1: Yeah. And Mount Everest, um, I do believe, as well. My former teammates Billy Peden and Paul Harrigan came up with the concept of doing challenges to, nice. to raise money. So we started with um, going over uh, and doing uh, Kakoda, which was amazing. There was uh, 19 of us did Kakoda. Then we went and did Base Camp Mount Everest. There was about 30 of us. Um, a lot of players on that one. We had Steve Menzies and Matty Johns and Matt and Kirk Gidley, Denny Badiris came, Russell Richardson. Um, we had a really good crew of people for that one mount everest and then we had um a place called borneo did the borneo death march with um about 35 people and then last year mount kilimanjaro uh, in africa the highest freestanding mountain in the world uh trent robinson the roosters coach joined us he was absolutely amazing and um my great mate adam and the man shake they they get behind us, uh, they put 100000 into that one, and we raised 700000 Um And the Manshaker put in over 500000 towards the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is just amazing.
0: Yeah, so much support. It's so, so good. The rugby league A- community is just... Yeah, so good. And, 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 like, I've also read and I've seen that how difficult it is to climb up these mountains, like you need that sort of strength
1: to, to get up there. Do you have a story about that? Um, well, I'll say this. Um, you get in that team environment and you push each other and you get get your mate up there. And I know Mount Kilimanjaro, when we we're reaching the top, uh, Danny Badiris was doing it really tough. Uh, he was sick at altitude and felt minus 15, minus 20. We had to leave at uh, midnight to walk up the top. Got up there about 10 a.m. on the last day. It's about 10 days on the track. And, you know, he's doing it tough, but we got each other there and got him there and, um, you know, he achieved it. And you do great things on the field, but some of these uh, memories and achievements that we've done on these Mark Hughes Foundation treks will live with live with us forever. And uh, to have um, close footy mates, close mates, general people that I'd never met that are now close mates, it's um, it's been a special part of what the foundation has done.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what you're doing at the moment is a new venture. Uh, you are now the director and partner uh, of a new company called AirLocker. So uh, can you tell us a, a little bit about this, how, how, how you got to be involved with this company and uh, the future for this company?
1: Yeah, so uh, leading into Mount Kilimanjaro, one wanted to train... And I I heard about a new altitude gym opening in Newcastle. So I looked into it and I I started going there. And it's like group training, but the room's set at altitude. So it's like being 3,200 metres above sea level. And there's all these benefits of training in altitude, particularly burning more calories is is probably a good one. You don't have to quite train as hard, but you get bigger results. So all the trekkers that were going, we they started doing it with me at airlocker locker and uh, we all started to love the training and I got to uh, know the uh, founder and um, became a partner in the business. I loved it that much. And that's sort of what I'm doing. And I'm actually opening one up myself um, in Katara,
0: yes. which is very
1: exciting. Yeah. In Newcastle, that'll happen in about a month. And we're actually talking to lots of partners uh, right around Australia. that are really keen to, to give this a go. So, um, yeah, airlocker training. It's a different way to train, but it's for everyone, and people love it. So uh, I really recommend people looking us up and uh, checking it out.
0: Absolutely. And the one in Katara, it's like right on right on the main road, North Coast Drive, right?
1: Yeah, right there, right near uh, Clark Rubber there, and um, yes. we're really excited, Carol, my wife Kiralee and I. And you know, I only do things that make me feel good and make me happy yes. these days. You know, when you've been in my position, you. You certainly look at things different and uh, this does that and it makes people better and makes people feel better. So I'm certainly um, looking forward to uh, getting our little Katara airlocker community in action and um, feeling great. I know a lot of all my ex-teammates will be coming. They love it, so it'll be good. Yes. Uh,
0: And speaking of that, Mark, let's get close to wrapping it up here. Uh, What does the future hold for, for Mark Hughes?
1: Well, I guess I've got a scan on Tuesday. Uh, I get scans every four months. So things are going wonderfully well there, but um, that's just uh, the life that I I have now. Yes. Um, so I've got to keep healthy, keep fit. I've got three children, a uh, wonderful wife, great friends and family. So I just enjoy them. Um, make today count. Can't change what's happened, um, but can certainly can certainly sort of positive and make today and tomorrow a great day and that's sort of the way I, I try and live um still involved with the night which i love um just on game days and things like that uh maintain close relationships and that with a lot of my former teammates and uh just yeah live, living the best life i can
0: yeah that's a that's a great answer and uh well done and let's talk about uh, your social medias and uh anything that you want to promote again
1: Ah, oh, so yeah, people can um, on Instagram. Um, I've, I'm, I'm not great at this stuff, but I <laughs> I just started Mark Hughes 2020 uh, on Instagram. Or you can follow the uh, Katara Airlocker Training. Um, you follow us a bit there, but most importantly, you got the Mark Hughes Foundation uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Please follow us because we need support until we get um, an answer to brain cancer and stop it ripping apart families and people we, we won't be stopping so we need your help we need your support we've got a mad christmas raffle over 20 odd thousand dollars worth of prizes for a ten dollar ticket so jump on the mark Hughes foundation website for details and we'd love your support absolutely great cause again
0: all right mark to finish off i just asked uh just a couple of questions and you just give me like your first answer it'll um, yeah. be the top two or three things all right are you ready mark <laughs> Yep. All right. Uh, so speaking of music, uh, who are your top three favorite artists?
1: Yeah, Newcastle Boys. I don't mind listening to Silverchair. On. But I don't mind a bit of Jimmy Barnes. just like I like easy listening music. I like a bit of everything, but I'll give you two there. Yep. Um, that, that might be about it. Not a problem. A very
0: proud Newcastle Boy. <laughs>
1: um, yeah.
0: In terms of uh, movies... Uh, what are your top two or three favourite movies?
1: As a kid, I used to like the Rocky movies. Um, these days, some, um, what some? I like a good comedy. Uh, we like Netflix at home. which a lot of Netflix.
0: Oh, no. Who is uh, you know uh, some of the best players that you've played against in rugby league?
1: Oh, you know, there's so many wonderful players. But I thought I'd think of um, lucky enough to play against. Towards the end of his career, Laurie Daly, um, right. Brad Fittler, um, the toughness of Gordon Tallis, you know, blokes like Wendell Saylor on the wing. There's just so many good players. So very grateful to have played against lots of good players.
0: And you said that you supported Parramatta you know, in Younger. Uh, so who were your, some of your favourite players
1: growing up? Yeah, uh, Brett Kenney and Peter Sterling, I think, um, were my standout players as a kid, yeah, for sure.
0: Absolutely. And last one, uh, who is your biggest hero slash inspiration?
1: Oh, I think uh, these days, um, I just look up to anyone that gives back and makes a difference for the right reasons. Um, so I think um, just anyone that's out there doing their best and willing to help others, um, And not just for money, you know, people that are willing to get help and make a difference and not just worrying about their pocket.
0: Absolutely. That's a great answer. All right, Mark. Again, thank you very much for your time. True inspiration. Keep continuing what you're doing with the Mark Hughes Foundation. Uh, You're helping uh, a lot of people and you're making a lot of
1: people very, very happy. And uh, all the best for the future. Craig, thanks, mate. It's been been a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate it.
0: Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade Nemington with natural ingredients. Visit victoriangrooming.com.